You're listening to Eureka on Monocle Radio, brought to you by the team behind The Entrepreneurs, the show all about inspiring people, innovative companies, and fresh ideas in global business. I'm Tom Edwards. Now, followers of both Eureka and The Entrepreneurs may well recall our special programme at the start of this year on the theme of the future of brand Britain. We featured insights from an excellent panel and questions from many equally smart delegates that took place right here in London. The event was inspired by this show's regular contributor, Bob Sheard, of the agency Fresh Britain, who was eager to ponder the future for the national brand and for those brands operating in its slipstream. It's safe to say the discussion back in January headed in a host of directions, many of which were rather surprising, but all of which were compelling. We thought that six months or so on from the event, we'd catch up with Bob to hear his thoughts on the day itself, and perhaps more importantly, to set out some of the learnings and to speculate upon what might come next. So it is a warm welcome back to Bob Sheard, founder and CEO of Fresh Britain. Bob, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Regular listeners to the show will probably have tuned in but to the uninitiated maybe remind us first of all how that event initially how did that coalesce because you were the instigator of it it was a fascinating day what was the beginning of that of that story first of all well it was a kind of a conscious feeling that brands in britain follow in the slipstream of brand britain and we were at this kind of inflection point with a new monarchy a series of new governments a kind of a new post-Brexit constitution. So we just thought it'd be a good idea to invite a series of British brands. So we had about 50 British brands there and then mix it up really. So we had brands, but we also had private equity funds there. But most importantly, I think, was we had students there from Central St. Martin's. So we had this nice blend of energy and enterprise and a bit of experience as well. And we had a great panel. That was why we did it. And the, the, the kind of working assumption was that brands follow in the slipstream that Brand Britain creates. And we had a brilliant panel, which we should thank because they were really good. And we had a really kind of energetic audience and we had a brilliant host. So we should thank you as well because you did very, very well. Very kind of you to say, Bob. But I think what was interesting was, as you said, that the discussion was instantly very robust and it didn't necessarily describe the twists and turns that perhaps we, well, certainly you and I from our previous conversations were were expecting. Were you surprised by the nature of the challenges to some of those assumptions? I think one primarily is almost that that slipstream, as a sense, almost worked palpably almost the, <laughs> the, other, way the other way around. But, but yeah. t- tell me about how, how surprised you were by that. What's interesting and surprising is that it's Possibly that working assumption has been turned on its head and it becomes a kind of working responsibility that British brands can create the slipstream that brand Britain might need the support from. And it was really amazing because what also arose is a series of kind of themes that came about. There were some relationship issues that came around. There were some serious opportunities. But also there was a little bit, you know, there is room for optimism as well. But it was, you're right, totally robust conversation and enjoyable. And obviously listeners can find some of the highlights. They can listen back to that to that session. Talk to me a bit about how you and your colleagues then in Fresh Britain sought to utilise that information, those surprises, and recalibrate your own strategic approach to projects, for example, because I think that's one of the really interesting things. And I've read some of your reflections that you've shared on your website and in your, in your mail outs and so on. But tell us, what's the actual process like 
you get those insights, how do you turn them then into actions, into things that you're going to bring into, I don't know, new brands that you're working on or new approaches to establish brands with whom you work? How do you how do you turn the one into the other? Well, very sort of obviously when we're dealing with British brands, we can go out and say if one of your monikers is British or London or Scotland or whatever it is, we can we can present the findings and say this is the meaning of that part of your brand. But most intriguing for me was the fact that we thought of going into it, we thought we'd kind of build an architecture that would represent what brand Britain could be. And coming out of it, what I think we've realised, which is important for brands, is actually the audience and the constituents didn't really buy into the idea of an architecture. They more bought into the idea of a garden that didn't have all the solutions in, but it was a a garden that they could participate in and, and flourish creatively. And I think that when you look at that with... You know, we're going into the sort of an election year in a few months. And and I think the mistake that will be made is all the politicians will try and sort of create some kind of British solution into which all their policies fit neatly and are fully costed and think that's what we're going to buy. And we, my sense from the, the, the session that we had was people are more interested not so much in a, as a place and an architecture with all the solutions. They're interested in an idea or a garden that, that isn't finished, that is a kind of philosophy and a principle that they can buy into, as opposed to some kind of fixed entity. Well, yeah, and this was the thing I was going to ask you about, because that strikes me as interesting, that that degree of flexibility, uncertainty, there's an inelegance about a lot of people's read of the of the situation. But I guess brand proprietors, or the people who are the custodians of brands, they come to you, Bob, because they want clarity or they say, look, maybe the, some of the messaging is being confused. How do we boil this back down to something that's much more frameworked and clear? That's a challenge, right, for you and your colleagues to say, well, you don't have to answer all these questions because that's what they're coming to you for. It's the hardest thing sometimes to build in a bit of that nuance, build in some blurred edges. And do you have to find brands, I've asked you this before, about the brands with whom you work most successfully, do you have to share a capacity for some doubt as you're framing the brand narrative going forward? Of course you do, yeah. If someone's looking for a, a sort of fixed solution, it's going to be right on the day you produce it and wrong the following day because we live in a dynamic world. So it's more important to follow some of the ideas. And and when we did the session on Brand Britain, some of the ideas that we pushed were really interesting and and people engaged. So we looked at the notion of the identity around the union and how that needs to be interdependent and around things like security. And we looked at the sort of independent identity of the nations and that need, those sort of need to be independent identities. We had a brilliant session, I think, with Echo when he talked about the value that there is in being unteleological, which which is where, you know, the inexorable rise of progress means that sometimes it doesn't create the space for culture to thrive, but actually you need a kind of teleological approach to the economy and things like that. So those were interesting themes that we explored. One of the key areas really spun out of responsibilities, and I think you can see that when you work with brands, but when we looked at it in terms of Brand Britain, in the room, there was very much the idea, I suppose because it was a pretty much private sector for a lot of it, the idea that the state's there to serve them. But there are a couple of people in the room from the public sector whose psychosis or outlook is a little bit different, where they're there to serve the state. And so you quite often get these this dichotomy where the state's there to create 
economics. The economic supports, you know, what we do in the private sector pays for, theoretically, the monarchy and the judiciary and governance. And actually, part of that's true, but it's only half true because the monarchy, the judiciary and governance creates the stability for the economy to thrive. So there's a, there's a it's a two-way relationship, which I think was unearthed and was really good. And then the other idea was we tended to be internally sensing that we were pretty incompetent. <laughs> I think that was, fairly, that was pretty explicit through most of the but, session. But externally, other countries would love to have our level of sort of outward confidence. So there's this internal anxiety around incompetence, but an external differentiation around confidence. So in playing with all those ideas and pushing those buttons, you start to see where the edges are. And it's the same when you're dealing with a brand. You push ideas like that and you start to see where the kind of the truth of the brand actually lies. And so it was a brilliant proxy for how we normally deal with brands when we're, when we're consulting. And tell me then, if you had certain assumptions, Bob, before about, I think we playfully discussed the idea in the abstract of, well, if you were working for Brand Britain, you know, what would be the fundamental tenets you'd look to communicate? How different do you think your approach is now, what, six months or so on from those discussions? And how much did the discussions themselves change or recalibrate your approach if you were to try and distill what Brand Britain is now, or maybe what the opportunity is for Brand Britain now? How different is that now than six months earlier a bit yes very i think different because i think what i hadn't fully appreciated and now do is that we've got the opportunity to unleash the identity of the union we've also got the opportunity to untether the identities of each of the nations as well so there's that kind of there's that nice tension there we also have the means of potentially invigorating the identity of the regions. So you can imagine these things all working dynamically together. At the moment, they're not designed that way. You know, just Yorkshire's Yorkshire and the Cotswolds is the Cotswolds and Wales does it thing and then there's a union and they're not really aligned. So the, we're not harnessing the full potential of the, of the nations, of the union and of the regions. And then when you look back in history and you think of the sort of cultural flourishing that happened around Florence in the Renaissance, and you think, actually, we could be creating kind of city-states as well. We could, you know, why couldn't Liverpool be a new Florence or San Francisco or, or Newcastle be a New York or whatever and, and, and build those identities? And when you're dealing with a brand architecture, you're trying to align brands and sub-brands in such a way that the sum is greater than the parts. And at the moment, clearly, the parts aren't even being considered and the sum isn't being considered either. So it's kind of, there's huge potential there to recalibrate Brand Britain and, and then do it in a differentiated way. You know, the sort of the Brexit has meant that we do mean independence and we do mean freedom. And that's a thing that is important as, a, as an economy. We don't tend to pull those elements together. So, you know, Generation Z is our future they should be in those rooms having those conversations because if you care about the future you have to care about generation z the issue is that generation z cares about the world's going to shit so you know you have to care about that so i think that's really important i think what we can do is is really back generation z so back energy back it with enterprise and back it with experience i think that's a huge opportunity now, despite the general and familiar listeners will know your perspicacious observations, they may think, Bob, that you are in possession of a crystal ball, but I can assure them that you're not. It's the consequence of 
deep research, your curiosity, different uh, people from whom you seek to uh, learn lessons, books you read, places you go and so forth. Where do you think, though, all things being equal will be in terms of the brand Britain brand if we were to be sitting around this table in, I don't know, a couple of different time horizons? 12 months, five years, 10 years. Because it's plausible at this stage that, as you said, that union untethering is well underway. There may be these deep schisms, even in three to five year time horizon, who knows? What would that mean? What do you think the preoccupations would be if we're talking about Brown Britain over, I don't know, a couple of different time horizons? In the next 12 months, I don't see much change, irrespective of what happens in politics. So if we have a change of political party, they're just they're selling to kind of technocratic visions of perfection and nothing much will change, albeit it'll be slightly different delivery. What I'd like to see is I'd like to see it's been 300 years since we last designed our union. The act of union was over 300 years ago. I'd like to see a redesign of Britain on constitutional lines because I think there is a fault line that exists and the fault line is London and London is Great Britain's capital and London has Great Britain's parliament in it and London hosts as where Great Britain's monarchy lives. And so basically London becomes is England. So England becomes Great Britain and the other guys feel feel closed out. So I think there needs to be a recalibration. I think England needs to find its own identity, its own political identity, national identity, national anthem, everything. So that the four component parts, there's equilibrium there. And then we need to work on creating a, a union identity that's a more perfect union that's all about independence and freedom. And it fights for the independence of freedom of not only ourselves, but fights for the independence and freedom of everybody around the world. And we innovate that. That's not a destination. It's a continuous innovation. And that's going to take some pretty visionary leadership to do that. And I think we've got to create that artistically and culturally and through commerce. You know, we're very fortunate in this country. We've got 1% of the world's population and we've got 14% of the world's Nobel laureates. So we are an inventive bunch We've got amazing diversity. We need to do better there. We need, I think this came up in the discussion, we need to not regret the evils and failings of empire. We need to apologise for them and we need to provide reparation for those because only if we do that can we then move on and and represent and symbolise what it means to be a, a free and fair country. So I think that that's... A, that's a, I'm going to say to you something which is a bit of a get out, but it's not. You talk to me about a time horizon and I'm going to talk to you in chironic time rather chronomatic time. So chronomatic time is, is a fixed point in the future. Chironic time is just what we experience. So I think that's the way to look at this as a chironic project that we experience and feel our way through. A kind of a promised land we may never get to, but we'll all enjoy it and be part of it on the way there. That was Bob Shear, the co-founder of Fresh Britain. Learn more about Bob and his colleagues at freshbritain.com. And that's it for this episode of Eureka. We'll be back at the same time next week. Do look and listen out for the main show, The Entrepreneurs, is available every Wednesday. Eureka was produced by Laura Kramer with mixing and editing by Jack Dewars. Listen again and find out more at our website, monocle.com. That's where you can join the club and subscribe to the magazine. If you want to contact the team, send an email to laura on lrk at monocle.com. I'm Tom Edwards. Goodbye and thanks for listening to Eureka. <laughs>